Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Monday Memo. And some of you are probably wondering why are we talking about population, trends, growths and myths. And I guess the main reason was I started looking into this because my son who were, is currently at home, so we're homeschooling him because of the pandemic and him not being in school. One of his science projects was actually to look at the impact of population growth on climate change. And he was asked, as part of his assignment, to look at how can we perhaps prevent overcrowding of the, the planet so it doesn't impact adversely on climate change. And, and the whole idea was that we had to limit it somehow, which I sort of remember from a book I'd read uh, called Factfulness by Hans Rosling, that the population growth on the planet is set anyway for the next century unless there's some major events that, that perhaps alter that. So I thought it could be useful sharing some of the, the lessons from this population growth trends we're expecting, because it does have some impacts on us as a finance profession. And also if some other listeners out there happen to be parents and their children are doing similar projects, it could be useful information for that. So as much as I was referring to a book called Factfulness, these population trends that I'm talking about, they were very nicely summarized in a video that Hans Rosling did before he died. And I'll put that link to the YouTube site where that's at uh, with this post. But it actually starts, it's about a 15 minute clip, but it actually starts by saying that now population growth is no longer exponential as perhaps is painted by the media because to get people's attention on this and, and sell news stories, we try to use, how do you say, exaggerating terms like explosions or exponential, when actual fact that the growth is linear, which as you, the rate of change on a linear trajectory is actually slowing rate. It's like decelerating. So the rate of change isn't as much. And the thinking is because that the growth has flipped from an exponential trajectory to one that's more linear now, world population is going to probably tap out at about 11 billion at the end of the century. And the reason why that's the projection is because the proportion of children on the planet at 2 billion is likely to stay at 2 billion for the next century. And when we say children, that's sort of 0 to 15 year olds, that generation. The next generation goes up in another 15 year increment and so on. And the thinking is that 2 billion of children will go and form the basis of the next 2 billion. And whereas now... The sort of the middle aged generations are about 1 billion in size. They'll be replaced by the 2 billion and so on and so on until you get five lots of 2 billion at the various different generational age groups with maybe an extra billion at the top of this sort of straight up skyscraper effect to represent a slight increase in life expectancy from the current average of 71. And the main reason why that sort of 2 billion tends to hold is that as a societies worldwide, we're doing much better than we were historically preventing child deaths because of the 135 million children born every year, only 3 million are likely to die during childhood. So if the population growth is already set on its trajectory to be 11 billion, then how could my son and his project be asked to limit it? Short of uh, euthanizing loads of uh, different generational age groups or killing people, which again, probably wouldn't the most ethical thing to do as finance professionals. What other things could you do? I suppose you could look at the rate of ch children coming through. 
But to do that, you'd be looking to ask people or, or force people not to have as many children. One way perhaps could be the, via taxes, maybe increasing taxes on people who have children, charging school fees where they're perhaps free education, or remove things like subsidies and tax credits for the parents of children who are availing of free childcare and so on. However, I don't think politicians would find that an effective strategy, so it's again unlikely that those policies would be employed. And so is there any way of controlling the population growth? There was one put forward by Hans Rosling, and it was actually about respecting people, ensuring that everyone has access to family planning and it's not forced. And he was really referencing where the majority of population growth is going to occur within the, the children age bracket. Because as much as the number of children is going to stay at 2 billion, how they're spread between different continents is very different. For instance, the, the, the proportion of children in the Americas and Europe is broadly going to stay the same. And in Asia, it's actually going to contract a bit because of the policies previously, particularly out of greater China, restricting the size of families. That is now fed into the demographic, meaning that it's highly likely that the number of children being produced by those getting older is actually going to reduce and they're going to be replaced by children being born in Africa. Because in Africa, the death rates are still relatively higher for children. and So as long as children are dying or they're needed to work to support their families, it's unlikely that the rate of childbirth is, is going to reduce and for some of us men whose pride is perhaps linked to how many kids we've had as opposed to instead which is probably more constructive how well they're developing and doing because if there's less of them to to parent there's a better chance that they'd be happier it's again unlikely that we're going to see much change in that 11 billion target for population growth so if it's not really the number of births that are increasing in the world then where is it coming from? It's, it's actually the adults. And it's the adults of those that are being born now who go through the generations. And there's a re really good clip I've actually included as a picture with this post of how that sort of extra fill-up of adults is going to be distributed. It'll be distributed mostly between uh, Africa and Asia. And that's got a lot of impacts of finance professionals. Why? Because as people move through those ages, that's where most of the workers are going to be entrepreneurs are going to be and it's probably going to demand an awful lot of finance professionals in those continents and countries within those continents also markets for instance you notice in the numbers and on the trends is that in europe and america there's not going to be too much change in each of those categories they'll be roughly the same size the market sizes for companies for children so that'd be for schooling education toy companies or even for sort of health care for those who are more middle-aged and, and, and aging or people who may be demanding travel for out of those countries and so on and holidays uh, and sort of that the more affluent middle sector of the generations that's going to be fairly restricted from a growth perspective unless people's wealth in those categories increases however the number of consumers potential consumers within asia and africa will be very large in those categories plus the expansion of education in, in, in Africa for the growing child populations and perhaps contraction in Asia and the child populations as we go through the generations. 
would mean a contraction there in education demand, but maybe growth then in Africa. So again, I think a lot of businesses would be targeting their growth to, to younger Africans and I suppose aging Asians. And, and given that there might be a slight increase in life expectancy, then that again also opens up for finance professionals, perhaps longer careers in finance or the need to keep evolving and keep learning and developing. And again, I probably recommend as part of that development is improving an understanding of the African and Asian continents, particularly if you are based in Europe and the Americas, where again, population growth is, is going to be fairly stable. And again, from my own personal experience, leading a team on the African continent, uh, again, really enjoy uh, learning more about the culture and the diversity and the, the fresh perspectives and the energy that's brought to the team by our team members there. And plus, again, some team members over in Southeast and Asia. And because that's where the growth is going to be, that's why when we bring guest mentors onto our weekly interviews, we try not to just focus on where most well-known accountants and finance professionals are, or where the big companies are, which is the Americas or the UK or Europe. We try and bring guest mentors on from all around the world. You know, and we've, we set targets for ourselves to have half of our guest mentors from the African and Asian continents. And so far, we've been quite successful. And likewise, from a diversity perspective, we try and dedicate more interviews for female guest mentors and at the moment, we're running at about 40% of our interviews are with female guest mentors, because that's probably more de- representative of where the demographic of our profession is going. So their guidance, their advice, their hard-won lessons, what works, what doesn't, will really help us getting ahead of some of the changes that are already locked in anyway for the next century when it comes to demographics and growth of populations. So look, hope you enjoyed this week's Strength in the Numbers Monday Memo. If you did, please uh, share it with your friends and colleagues. We really appreciate that. We can, you can subscribe on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And as always, really appreciate investing your time with us today. So until next time, take care of yourselves and let's keep on building Strength in the Numbers.